Sorry, Joel chapter number two. Thank you for the very good response to the sermon on uh, America's condition this morning and what we can do about it. Appreciate the good, good feedback. Same verses tonight, same general verses, and I'll try not to, to restate or re-preach too much what we said this morning, but uh, try this evening to get the doctrinal, uh, we got the practical out of it this morning, the doctrinal this evening. Joel chapter 1, uh, Joel chapter 1 and verse number 1 the word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of uh, Pethuel, uh, hear this, ye old men, and give ear, all ye inhabitants of the land. Had this been in your days, even the days of your fathers, tell ye your children of it, let your children tell their children and their children another generation. I, I have to point out to you, uh, those, some of you know this very, very well, you've heard it a thousand times, and others of you, you're still becoming oriented in, in your Bible. The New Testament is written primarily to Christians, saved, born again, people who have trusted the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, as a result have been regenerated, born again. Most of the Old Testament is written to one people, yes, the nation of Israel. It's not written to Christians. We don't have a land. We don't have fathers and forefathers, and, and uh, we, we, we all come to Jesus Christ for a new birth, and the Christian life begins there. But Israel's national life begins with fathers and fathers and fathers, fathers, and generations and generations. We have no continuing city. We have no material blessings promised us whatsoever. Uh, Israel's blessings were primarily, predominantly, physical material blessings tied to a piece of land. Uh, when you confuse the two, you get monstrosities like Protestantism and Catholicism and, and holy wars and crusades and, and land grabs and, and things of that nature. But that's not, that's not the business of the church. The business of the church is going to all the world, Amen. not capture any part of the world, but to preach the gospel to every creature and, and start churches in cities and towns and villages and, and not try to alter the, the society or the culture, but to have a place from which people can be saved and come out of the society and out of the culture to live the Christian life. So the book of Joel, while we have enjoyed making application, these calls to repentance and restoration and these promises of God's eventual turning of the nation to himself and blessing them, they're all quite literal and made to one specific people the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not Abraham and Ishmael, but Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that's what all the fighting's been about for 6,000 years over there. Who gets the blessing, Ishmael or Isaac? Well, the Bible says Isaac. Who gets the blessing, the son of the hand, uh, the, the bond woman, or the son of the free woman? The Bible makes it clear, the son of the free woman. Uh, so, so when we read these things, for example, verse number eight, Lament like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the husband of her youth. The meat offering and the drink offering is cut off from the house of the Lord. We have no meat offering in our assemblies. We have no drink offering in our assemblies. We remember the one offering and the one sacrifice that Christ made for us on the cross. And we bring no other offerings and no other sacrifices. So this is, this is a, a, a Jewish matter. This is a, a nation of Israel matter. And so it makes verse 8 very significant. 
lament like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the husband of her youth. What a terrible thing it would be for a young lady to meet the young man and, they, and they're espoused and then they're married and then he dies in war, in battle of, of famine or pestilence or some sort, sort of thing. What, a, what a, a, a gaping wound in the heart of this virgin. And yet in the context of Joel, it, it reaches far beyond. The great tribulation that is coming on this earth Seven years called the time of Jacob's trouble. Why would it be the time of Jacob's trouble? It couldn't be the time of church's trouble. We're going to be gone. Amen. Caught out, meet the Lord in the air, uh, and, and then tribulation judgments begin. And during that tribulation time, those who repent and turn to the Lord among the 12 tribes of Israel are called the virgin daughter of Israel. Isaiah 23, 12, Isaiah 37, 22, Isaiah 62, and verse number five. What, a, what an amazing testimony to the grace of God that this nation that the Lord says has repeatedly gone a-whoring is called a virgin. That's how completely you get a new birth, they get a new start. You're made a new creature. Their nation is made anew, born again in a, in a day. The Bible says in the book of Romans, the restored nation will, is then pictured as a reconciled wife. Hosea chapter 1 and chapter 2, Hosea the prophet is, is the illustration. Israel is, is wed to God, married to God the Father. They are unfaithful to Him. They break their vows. They betray Him. The relationship is severed. And the Lord... God, God the Father, Jehovah God, does not take another wife because they're not dead. Amen. He patiently waits through century after century after century. And when they finally turn to him, he takes back his wife and the relationship is restored. And that's uh, stated for us in Isaiah 54 and verse number five. So the purpose of the great tribulation regarding the nation of Israel is, of course, to cause them to suffer because of their centuries and millennia of breaking the covenant they made, that they made with God as, as a husband and wife, uh, being unfaithful to the vows that they made to God there in the wilderness when they, when they accepted and ratified uh, the law. But it is also to bring that nation, what's left of it after 21 tribulation judgments, what's left of it after the wrath of God and Satan are directed toward them, to bring them to restoration. And the idea taught in, in Protestantism and, and Catholicism and Calvinism that, that Israel has been replaced by the New Testament church. Brother David did an excellent job just a couple of weeks ago showing the folly of that error. God has, is not breaking a thousand Old Testament promises. He will keep them. He didn't make them to you. He made them to the nation of Israel. And he will keep those promises and thank the Lord for it. So when we come to Joel chapter number two, here's, here's the uh, condition. Joel chapter two and verse number 12, uh, or start at verse 11. 
And the Lord shall utter his voice before his army, for his camp is very great, for he is strong that executeth his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible, and who can abide it? And we covered this literal, literal second coming of Jesus Christ to rule and to reign. We thank God for it. Therefore also now, saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning and rend your heart and not your garments and turn unto the Lord your God. For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. I, I like the books. I like the literature. Shows the Bible verses on the buildings in Washington, D.C. Shows the quotations from the founding fathers about their faith in Providence, whoever that might be. Or the Most High, without ever naming Jesus Christ. I appreciate all that. But you could not read Joel chapter 2 and verse number uh, 12 and 13 to the United States of America. Right. Yeah. Return unto the Lord your God. He's not our God. He's the God of some people who live in the United States of America who have embraced him and received him as their savior. But this idea that our army wins a war against the Pope and now Germany is Christian... <laughs> or Protestant instead of Catholic, that's silly talk. God is a covenant relation with one nation. It's not Switzerland, it's not Japan, it's not the USA. It's the nation of Israel, which is why everybody wants to wipe the nation of Israel off the map, because they just hate God and anything associated with God. So the Lord is calling for His people to repent. Verse 14, who knoweth if he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind him, even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God. So, so look what God has done. In the nation's rebellion, we saw in chapter number one, he took away their meat offerings, their drink offerings, their ability to make sacrifices. Fast forward to the tribulation time. Your crops are dead, your fields are dead, your trees are dead, your water is poisoned. You don't have any grain to bring. You don't have any livestock to bring. You're starving to death. And the Lord says, if you'll repent, I might repent. If you will turn from your ways, I might return from my ways. Now, what would happen if they repented and turned from their ways? Nothing here about getting saved. Nothing here about being born again. Nothing here about receiving eternal life. What's, what's the promise? You'll get your material stuff back so you can bring me offerings, meat offerings, drink offerings, sacrifices, that has nothing to do with Christianity. Now, is there a principle? Yes, we covered it this morning. If you're in rebellion against God and living in sin and your sin is costing you dearly and the chastening hand of the Lord is upon you, if you'll repent and turn from that sin, God can restore things and make your life better. But the literal truth of Joel chapter 2 is a people who have a relationship with God through a covenant that involves sacrifices have neglected that covenant and neglected those sacrifices. And so God didn't break the covenant. He broke the nation so they, who, the nation who didn't want to keep the covenant can't keep the covenant. 
It's a strange thing. Those Jews in Jesus' day were talking about, we can't, you know, we, we got to keep the law. We, you know, we, I mean, we, we can't violate the Sabbath day and we can't die, violate the high holy days and everything else. Well, guess what else you can't do? Offer the required sacrifices morning and evening on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Because the Romans are controlling your, so, so they adapted Judaism to Roman culture and pretended they were keeping the law when they couldn't keep it. Now you got Jews living all over the world who say they're practicing Judaism. Are you offering sacrifices in Jerusalem morning and evening like God required? Then you're not practicing Judaism. You're practicing something you made up or watered down and pretending it's Judaism, just like people go to church and do nothing that resembles the Bible and say, oh, we're Christians. <laughs> just a bunch of nonsense. So as long as there's a mosque on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, and as long as there's no high priest and no altar and no sacrifice, there's no Judaism being practiced. So you have Jews who are practicing nationalism or Zionism or orthodoxy, and they might be meeting in synagogues and they might not. But if you're living in New York City or De Leon Springs or, or Fort Lauderdale, you're not practicing Judaism. Yeah. <laughs> you're just a Jew living somewhere. Yeah. And you might be all sold out and dedicated and not trim the corners of your hair and wear a black hat and, and, and that sort of thing. But, but that's not in the law. Right. <laughs> a big black hat's not in the law. Yeah. What's in the law is get out of this Gentile lands, go back, trust me in your homeland. Yes, sir. So, well, we can't do that. Okay, then. God's not finished. Because he says, if you'll repent and you'll turn to me with all your heart, I just might repent and let you back in the land and back in the city and back in a right relationship. And Ezekiel 40 to, uh, or 40 to 48, we'll get those sacrifices going again. Well, I thought Jesus was the one sacrificed took away sin. Exactly, which proves that those were never to take away sins. They were part of a covenant relationship with God, so he would bless the land and the people in the land. They had nothing to do with salvation of the soul. Or Christ wouldn't have died on the cross. He'd have just said, offer more of those. Amen. Verse 15. Blow the trumpet in D.C. Blow the trumpet in London. Blow the trumpet in Moscow. No, blow the trumpet in Zion. Zion, that's the land from the river to the sea. The Red Sea and the Euphrates River. Not the Mediterranean and the Jordan. You think there's a howl going up because they got 20 miles of land. Wait till somebody opens the Bible and says everything from the Red Sea to the Euphrates belongs to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The UN will drop more bombs than they can count. Blow you the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and those that suck the breast. Let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. 
And we read this this morning when we made the application, but here come the old people, here come the young people, here come the mothers with babies, here come the newlyweds. Everybody's coming to a fast. They're not coming for dinner on the grounds. They're not coming to celebrate a holiday. They're coming to repent. They're coming to tell God they're sorry for what they've done. Hey, bad. That garden, Adam didn't repent. He blamed his wife. His wife didn't repent. She blamed her husband. Then they blamed God for making the serpent and blamed the serpent for offering them a piece of fruit. That's not repentance. Verse 17, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, New Testament church, everybody's a priest in the New Testament church. But in Israel, you got some priests that have oversight. Mr. Lord, weep between the porch and the altar. <laughs> well, our church got a porch and this is the altar. Well, yeah, but <laughs> you just took those words from the Bible. This is actually a step that gets you up on the platform. Anybody want to come to the altar? Well, that's fine, but if in the Old Testament, if you, came to, if you came to the altar, you might get burnt up. <laughs> so there's priests, there's the porch on the, the temple, there's the altar in the temple. What are they supposed to do? They're supposed to come to the place that was set apart for God's people to worship God with prayers, with songs, with repentance, with sacrifices, and with fasting, and that's what they're being called upon to do. And let them say, spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine heritage to reproach, that the heathen should rule over them. You want to get your country messed up? Get on a boat and come over here and pretend you're Israel and this is the promised land and God wants you to take the land away from everybody that doesn't look like you. Because you read about it in the Pentateuch. You know what you're going to get out of that? You're going to make it hard for me to witness 400 years later. Because now I've got to explain how it is that people who claim to be Christians exterminated tribes of people and enslaved others and did so quoting the Bible. And you've got, you got to try to tell these people in off to college, no, no, those were Protestants. We're talking about Christianity. They don't know the difference. Well, why'd you get those armies together and go down there and kill all those people in the, in the Holy Land? Those were Catholics. We're talking about Christians here. See, when you start pretending God's through with Israel and you're Israel, then you start doing what God told Israel to do, and that's not what Christians are supposed to do. Yeah. But these people, they are in their temple with their priests asking God to forgive their sins and to pardon them so the heathen will get off the real estate that God gave to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and so they can have their real estate back. That's not Christianity. But it's a very important part of the Bible. Now, if God was to give the church back its land, what would we get back? What land did God give the church? They didn't have any in the book of Acts. 
when he left Jerusalem and, and went to Judea and then went to Samaria and then went to the uttermost parts of the earth, they might have had a little building to meet in in Philippi, a little gathering place in, 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 uh, in Corinth and a few spots here and there throughout Rome. But they certainly didn't take over Greece in the name of Jesus Christ. And they certainly didn't take over the empire in the name of Jesus Christ. They just assembled together in church buildings and went out and preached the gospel on the streets and proused the house. That's, that's what they did. But God gave somebody armies, helped their armies, knocked down cities, exterminated tribes of reprobate, wicked people, and gave his people land and said, it's yours forever. And when God wanted to punish his, his people, the nation of Israel, you know what he did? He either sent them off their land into captivity or sent Gentiles into their land to cap, capture them and dominate them in their land. So when you mix Israel and the church, you start fighting wars you shouldn't fight and killing people you shouldn't kill and amassing real estate you shouldn't amass and thinking you're marching to Zion. <laughs> Lord, bless these tithes and offerings, the furthest thy kingdom on this lovely Sabbath morning. It's not the Sabbath. <laughs> it's Sunday. <laughs> and we're not trying to further the kingdom. We want to win souls. Hmm. So, when he say that the heathen should rule over them, uh, so who are God's people? That's the nation of Israel. Who are the heathen? Everybody else. Amen. This was blessed. See, we use a heathen. Well, that guy's a real heathen. Now look how he's acting. No, no. He's a real heathen if he's not a direct flesh and blood descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's a heathen. Yeah. <laughs> Most of you are saved heathen. <laughs> Sometimes we act saved, sometimes we act heathen, but we're, 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 we're see, don't laugh too hard, Justin, isn't it? <laughs> this is my night. <laughs> too bad, too bad Jake's not here to wave the banner with you. All right, so verse number 20, but I will... I will remove far off from you the northern army and will drive into a, him into a land barren and desolate with his face toward the east sea and his hinder part toward the utmost sea and his stink shall come up and his ill savor shall come up because he hath done great things. So these Gentile powers have trodden Israel underfoot and ruled over them for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And the Lord's going to take one army and march it beyond that water boundary and take another army and march it beyond that water boundary because they don't belong inside Israel's boundaries. Now, here's why we don't get involved in doing that. Because God's going to do it. Amen. And he's going to do it when Israel repents. And the reason we don't get involved in in politics, especially international politics, is because Israel's not repenting. They're defending their land, as I would expect any people to do, but they're not repenting. 
and the U.S. and the U.N. and whoever else you want to put a U in front of and give them weapons, they're not going to drive Israel off the land and Israel's not going to drive their enemies off the land because everybody's trying to do this stuff in con contradiction to the Word of God. Yeah. So we're just waiting for it to happen. In the meantime, we're trying to get people saved. Yeah. What do, you think, what do you think about all that stuff going on over in the Middle East? Well, here's what I think. Christ died for your sins in the Middle East. Christ rose from the dead in the Middle East. Now, some great things have happened in the Middle East. Yes, sir. I'm going to come back one day and watch the Lord Jesus land in the Middle East. Uh, what you need to be concerned about is are you saved or not, not who's funding which army. All right, verse 20. Fear, uh, I'm sorry, 21. Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord will do great things. Now look what you have. Verse 20, the Gentile powers have done great things. Verse 21, the Lord will do great things. That's a blessing. So we have the advantage of being almost at the end of this thing. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream one night. Can't interpret the dream can't remember the dream. Hard to interpret a dream he can't remember. He just knows he's had a lot of freaky dreams, but that was the freakiest of all the freaky dreams. And he calls in his wise men, his soothsayers, his astrologers, his uh, 800 number fortune tellers and all the rest of them, uh, Dion Warwick and everybody else. And, uh, they, all, they all come in and, and the king says, tell me what my dream means. And they say, we don't even know what you dreamed, and neither do I. But if you don't tell me what it means, I'm going to kill every one of you. It's good to be king. <laughs> and just before he kills them all, Daniel says, if you give me a, a little bit of time to talk to my God, I'll, I'll tell you what you dreamed. And he comes in, he tells him about this image, and he says, the head of gold, that's you, Nebuchadnezzar, you're king of kings and lord of lords. And the silver, there's the Medes and the Persians, and there's the, the brass, there's the Grecian Empire, and then there's the Roman Empire, and then down to feet of iron mingled with miry clay. And when Daniel is standing for Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar rules the world. And now we look and he's gone. He's done. Then the Medes and the Persians took over the world, and we look, now well, they're done. And Alexander and the Greeks took over the world. We learned they're done. Then the Roman army ruled the world. Roman Empire ruled the world. They're done. Now, why would you doubt that whatever man puts together to try and keep the Jews from getting all the land God promised them, why would you think that's going to work? Why would you think it's going to be successful? He doesn't care how great and powerful the Gentiles are, and he doesn't even care how sorry and good for nothing the Jews are. He's going to keep his promises. He's going to do what he said. Verse 22, Be not afraid, ye beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness do spring. For the tree beareth her fruit, the fig tree and the vine do yield their strength. There's a glorious kingdom following the tribulation, verse 21, and nature will be restored, verse 22. If you've been here any length of time at all, you've enjoyed running all these verses with us. And I'm telling you that in that great tribulation, the waters are poisoned and, 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 and the land is, is barren and there's fire and, and death and a third of the people die and then a third of the people die and it just everything's just, 
Here's what I want to know. Do you believe in six days God made the heavens and the earth? In one of those days, he made all the plant life. In one of those days, he made the sea creatures and the land creatures and the birds of the air. You believe that? Yes, sir. Well, how long would he take, to, take him to fix this thing after the Great Tribulation? Overnight? Yes, sir. You don't think the God that made water and poisoned water can cleanse water? I mean, he took a tree and threw it in bitter waters in the wilderness and they turned sweet. Amen. He took good water in the Nile and turned it into blood. Yeah. He measured the waters of the earth in the hollow of his hand. How long would it take him to fix the water? Not long. Whole earth was underwater for a year. The first flood failed because all the water kept going over the sides. <laughs> you know, if you're going to believe in a universal flood, that water can't be going over the crust of the pizza. It's, it's got to... The Bible says it's 15 cubits higher than the highest mountains on earth. Any, anyway... So Noah, that boat lands, and God, Noah sends out a bird, and it comes back with leaves in its mouth. Well, where'd that come from? Yeah. God must replenish that earth yes, sir. pretty quickly after that flood. Sure. I believe you replenish it pretty quickly after the Great Tribulation. Wouldn't be hard for God. Man. Might be hard for you, but it wouldn't be hard for God. Joel 2, verse 23, be glad then. Then, after you repent, then, after you turn to the Lord, then, after God comes and blesses, be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain moderately, and will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain, and the latter rain in the first month. So what happens? This, this uh, rain, early rain, latter rain, former rain, uh, first rain, second rain, it's all through the Bible. Proper and regular rainfall are always tied to God's blessings and man's enjoyment of life. God's people went too far in the days of Elijah. No rain for three and a half years. Elijah called the people together, called the fire down from heaven. The people fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is the God. The Lord, here, he is the God. And Elijah said to that king, you better get home. It's about to storm. Amen. And when the people got right with God, down came the rain. You know what's going to happen to close of that great tribulation? What's left of Israel, and it won't be much. They'll turn to God and call on the Lord, and rain that hadn't fallen in three and a half years is going to fall. The early rain, the latter rain, and restore the abundance to the land. Hallelujah. If you've been to Israel, you know this uh, from the sight of your eyes. If you've not been, it's pretty easy nowadays to see pictures just about anything on the face of the earth. Does that, does that rock heap over there look like a land flowing with milk and honey to you? Well, it was when Israel got there. It took two men with a pole to carry a cluster of grapes back. If it's flowing with milk and honey, there's flowers everywhere and there's grass for cattle everywhere. Doesn't look like that now. You know what the Lord said? I'll fix it. If you fix your heart, I'll fix your land. Amen. 
if you keep the covenant I made with you, I'll keep the covenant I made with you. <laughs> but you've got to make a move. And they will. They will to close that tribulation time. Verse 24, the floor should be full of wheat. And the fat shall overflow with wine and oil. You'll, you'll need a legal size pad before I'm done to mark your seat. <laughs> Might even need a scroll. <laughs> I can always make it worse, can I? <laughs> and I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm. Remember chapter 1? Most of those worms need up your crops. But if you'll repent and turn to me, I'll, I'll give them all back. Amen. Book of Job pictures that for you. God can bring an individual or a nation from the deepest valley to the highest mountain. Thank the Lord. Amen. Ye shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be ashamed. Shame results from sin. Being ashamed of God results in a most unpleasant life. But look at the results of repentance. Plenty, satisfaction, praise, wonders, no shame. Amen. You just hurt yourself when you won't repent. God's got all these blessings, but he's holding them back until men repent. Once they repent, here they come, here they come, here they come. And you should know that I am in the midst of Kansas City, <laughs> Chicago, L.A., Detroit. No, you should know that I'm in the midst of Israel, that I am Lord your God and none else, and my people shall never be ashamed. So when they devote their hearts to the true and living God, they truly turn in repentance to the true and living God. He will keep all the promises He made them in that covenant. These are literal truths that will come to pass on this earth. And we believe that. We believe the second coming of Jesus Christ. We believe the promises that God made to Israel in the Bible are as sure as the promises that He made to Christians in the Bible. It's hard for you to believe in the, in the eternal security of the born-again New Testament Christian if you can't believe in the eternal covenant that God made with Israel. Because both, both stand or fall on the integrity of God, not those to whom He made the promises. But let's make a little practical application before we go tonight, because you'd be disappointed if we didn't. Verse 25, I will store to you the years that the locust hath eaten, the canker worm, the caterpillar, the palmer worm, my great army which was sent among you. So let's make sure we understand this first of all. If you've wasted 10 years of your life, God's not going to, when you repent, He's not going to take you back to 10 years ago and let you live those 10 years again. Here's what the Lord's saying. Why lose another 10 years? Why not repent and let me put you back where you were before you made this mess out of your life? Yeah. Amen. People say, well, you know, preacher, if I repent, is that going to fix everything? Well, let me ask you something. 
if, if you were driving drunk and you killed someone, when you repent of your drunkenness, repent of your drinking, get right with God, does that person rise from the dead and go home to their family? No. There's, things are done. They got to be dealt with. But the Lord can take you again to the place of blessing and righteousness and joy where you were before the palmer worms and the canker worms of your life started eating away at your life. So I'm not repenting so what I've done can be undone. I'm repenting so I can stop doing hurtful things. Yeah. Get my, Israel doesn't get to go back. When Israel repents in the end of tribulation, they don't get to go back to the end of the book of Joshua and start over again. But they get to go forward in a thousand years and more of God's blessing upon their nation. And what the Lord's holding out to you tonight is not that you get to be 15 again and try and do better next time around. It's that if you've got 10 years left or 40 years left or 50 years left, God can use those years and make you a blessing. Thank God. So let's get busy and repent and get right so we can be used of the Lord and, 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 and enjoy the rest of our days. Praise the Lord. Practical, practical. Verse 26. Ye shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God that dealt wondrously with you and my people should never be, be ashamed. Do you think, really, really, do you think tonight if you were living in Israel and rockets were landing in your neighborhoods, would you be satisfied? You say, well, this is great. This, this, is, this is what God promised us. And practical now, practical. Do you really think Jesus Christ died on a cross and gave you a Bible and gave you a church and gave you a preacher and gave you Christian friends and fellowship so you could cling defiantly to your sin and just stay unhappy? Why would you want to be angry or bitter or, or in despair or, or bound in some sin or some habit when you could live a life that is satisfactory, satisfied? Now, I don't know why they're telling me I have to repent. Because we don't want you to be like that. <laughs> you imagine Israel saying, I don't know why God just keeps hounding us about repenting and turning to God. I mean, after all, we've got, we've got the sliver of land with landmines and booby traps and tunnels underneath us and people assassinating us and shooting us and hating us all over the world. Why would we repent and have, I don't know, peace, prosperity? Nobody's <laughs> gonna tell us what to do. All right. <laughs> but their satisfaction and joy in getting right with God. Amen. Amen. Now, I've always marveled that people sit and look with resentment at the people who are happy and satisfied and enjoying their Christian life as though somehow they're the ones that are, <laughs> that are out of step somewhere. God intends this thing, life more abundantly. All right, practical now, verse 27. Ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and none else, and my people shall never be ashamed. When the heart is devoted to God alone, 
there's satisfaction. When he's the center of one's life, all is well. And when anything else occupies your round-the-clock thoughts, your round-the-clock activities, your round-the-clock desires, your round-the-clock, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, whatever it is, you're going to lose your joy. You're going to lose your enthusiasm for life. For 2,000 for years and more, Israel has had the promise of God's material blessings with peace and prosperity and safety and joy and gladness. And they've opted to sin. How's it worked out for them? In every day of the Christian's life, God offers you love, joy, peace. Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance, faith. Why would you opt for bitterness and resentment and sin and disappointment? Fast. Repent. Rend your heart. Line up with the will of God and the Word of God. He's just waiting to pour out a blessing. But he's not going to bless disobedience. He's not going to bless sin. But he's ready. He's willing. He said, I just know the Lord could fix a life like mine. If he could call that adulterous nation, that's what he called them. He called Jerusalem. He said, y'all like Sodom and Gomorrah. Yes, sir. That's what he said. He looked at Israel and said, you're like Sodom and Egypt. And when they repented and turned to God in their heart, he said, that's my virgin daughter right there. Well, you talk about turning something around. Yeah. You talk about cleansing something. The Bible talks in the New Testament, listen, about whoremongers, adulterers, fornicators, thieves, drunkards, blasphemers. Came to Jesus, got washed in his blood, and now he calls them his espoused virgin bride. That's some kind of transformation. Amen. That's some kind of cleanup. But you got to repent. Got to repent. Except you repent, you shall likewise perish. But when God sees that, that remnant of his nation turn to him at the close of that tribulation time, down he comes and down come the blessings, everyone that he had, had ever promised. Amen. All right, Father, thank you for the Bible. Help us, Lord, to understand it, put things in, in the right places and, and divide your word properly and benefit from it as fully as we possibly can. In Jesus' name and amen.